everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 124 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we're going to be talking about comparison. It's something that all of us do and especially in our running, but why do we do it? Is it helpful or does it just kind of rob us of the joy that we experience with our running? So today we're going to discuss a lot of that. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So comparison is one of those things that all of us tend to do at some point in our lives or, you know, daily. Yeah, constantly. Constantly, just at all times. right? I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that just comes so natural to humans. It, like we're always... Like a- Go ahead. From a really young age. Yeah, from a really young age. Like we're always comparing ourselves either to other people or to our old selves or to some, you know, some sort of ideal that we want to reach. There's always (laughs) some sort of comparison. It's comparison to our former self or our undiscovered future self. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's like, you know, especially in the world of running, like a lot of runners get into this where, you know, you meet other runners and you're like, oh, what's your PR in the half marathon or the 5K? Like, it's like when, when you meet new runners for some reason, the conversation a lot of times tends to go into the direction of personal records or personal best times. Right. Or when you meet just random people for the first time, it, this seems apparently, I, I read an article that this is a trait in the US and very much frowned upon in, in Europe yeah. that people ask, what do you do for a living? Yeah, that's definitely like a taboo question at the first time you meet somebody. Right. But yeah. here in the US, it's like a go-to. It's a go-to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Kevin and I'm a teacher and coach for a living. Right. And I, I've, I've actually, I might've re- read the same article or, you know, heard about it. You may have shown it to me. I might have. Um, but yeah, basically they said that, you know, in Europe, in some countries that it's a, actually an insult because it's like my job doesn't define who I am. Like I am a person, like try to get to know me that has nothing to do with what my job is. No, but if I know your job, then I can ballpark your salary and then I can just you know, compare my salary to your hypothetical salary, and then we can all kind of rate each other accordingly. <laughs> rate each other. <laughs> let's let's all start getting in pecking order, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, comparison is one of these things. And it's there, of course, is the old saying that comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Uh, so as natural as it is for us to do this, why in the world do we all do this if it tends to rob us of our joy and satisfaction. So much of, of running out there is so numbers-based. Yeah. You know, I, I crossed the finish line and this was my time. What was your time? You know, especially if you get into running uh, earlier in life, there's a lot of racing that goes on. Mm. What was your spot on the team? Did you beat that person from another team because your score matters? Yeah. You get into running late and people start looking at like, where did they fall in their age group? Where did they fall in the overall race? Mm-hmm. Were they faster than when they ran that? same distance before is it a further distance than they've ever run it's all so so many numbers that you can cling to yeah. that it's so easy to grab on oh that. it's very easy to start comparing in running that's for sure um so the question becomes like so there are some negatives probably to comparison and but are there also positives and so today we're going to kind of get into just the idea of comparison like why we all have this natural tendency to compare ourselves to other things, other people. And, um, also, you know, what we can kind of do about this to help make ourselves a little happier. Yeah. Some of it, some of it is kind of a a hypothetical about what, where it's probably coming from, where it could be stemming from, Mm -hmm. because it starts so 
early. It does. You watch like toddlers playing with blocks and one of them will stack three blocks on top of each other and the kid next to him will look over and be like, oh, they got three blocks stacked on top of each other and they'll try and stack four. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, then they'll knock over the other kid's blocks. <laughs> not all of Not all I've, kids do that. I've watched this happen before. <laughs> like way back when our kids were in preschool, like I used to watch this happen of yeah. like kids would just be playing with blocks because they can't play with each other at that age. Mm-hmm. Like they'll play next to each other. Yeah. And they're still side they're playing. Side by side play. Right, the side by side play. And like the one kid tried to stack up three blocks and the other kid was like, oh, cool, three blocks. I'm going to try four. And theirs fell over and they got like clearly angry about it because they were comparing to the person next to them. Mm-hmm. But it's it's also a question of like how young do those like ideals start being instilled into those kids too? Like is it just a natural thing or is it because of the household that that kid was growing up in and like the – you know, the culture of his family, like, and yes. you know, the expectations or what dad and mom and siblings were putting onto that kid too. Right. That's, that's one of the next things that you see as the kids get a little bit older and grades start showing up in school. Yeah. There's a lot of comparisons. Yes. And I feel like a lot of that comes from expectations from parents or trying to be as good as an, an older sibling or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But you see it early if like, you know, kids will get a test back and they'll look at their grade and then and they'll immediately ask the person next to them, hey, what'd you get? Mm-hmm. Why does that matter? Yeah, because they want to be better than the, the other person. Like, because for some reason, our culture has told us that that's an important thing. Like, it's important for you to be better than your classmates so that you could be at the top of the class. You could be the valedictorian or the salutatorian or in the top 10% because that matters so that you can get into the college that you want to get into so that you can then have the career that you want to have. Like, it just, it all just starts stacking on top of each other. So it all starts with stacking four blocks on top of the three, right? <laughs> and if you can't do it, then you just knock the other person down. Then you just, oh, that, that gets into a very dangerous slippery slope. Um, and this is something that I think that I've been very aware of in my life because I'm the oldest of three girls and my middle sister always talked about how she always used to be compared to me growing up, like going through school. You need to fix the tense on that. She did not talk about that in the past. She still talks about that to this day. She always talks about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, and I think that that's unfortunate that, that just is one of those natural things that people do. Like, they're like, oh, you're Angie's sister. You must be blah, blah, blah. And they put characteristics onto her without even getting to know her. And you're very different people. So, so they should not different. put your characteristics onto so her. So different. Right. And she said, you know, I was very good in school. And so when she would go through and have the same teachers that I had and maybe not get the grades that I got, like it would make her feel even worse. Like it wasn't that, you know, she, I mean, she still was smart and she still got good grades, you know, but she just wasn't straight A's. And so it was like, well, then she's comparing to this like ideal and falling short. So not only is she not getting the straight A's, but now she's not also, you know, living up to sister's expectations, living up to the expectations that had been set for someone else. For no reason, you know, for no good reason. And, you know, so because of, you know, that experience with me growing up, I've been trying to be very consciously aware of our two girls, like not comparing the two of them ever, but like sometimes it still happens. Like, and I don't think that I, I, I definitely never do it intentionally. Um, and I am very consciously aware to not do it, but I think that I, I hear it from their teachers in Mm -hmm. school, you know, like that have one and then the other, and they'll come to me and, you know, 
tell me things that make the two of them different or they'll compare the two of them like, wow, you know, they're really different kids. And I'm like, yes, they are. Yes, they're in fact two completely different human beings. Yeah, and they think different and they act different and everything about them is different other than the two parents that they have. They have the same last name. (laughs) Way to go. Well, I mean, so do, you know, probably millions of people on the planet, you know, (laughs) since our last name is Brown. I'm sorry I made your last name less exciting (laughs) when you married me. No, but you know what I mean? Like, yes, you got, they share parents, so they share some genetics, they share some blood, but personality-wise, those two are very, very different people. Right, they're very different, and so the comparison shouldn't really go between them. Um, it's funny, as you, you mentioned the siblings, I, when I was back in high school, one of the kids on the cross-country team was in my grade. I was good friends with him, and he was, like, way up at the top of the class academically. Uh-huh. Out of, like, my grade level, he was, through, he was like, three years ahead in math and, like, honors and AP, everything. He was just super, super smart. His brother was uh, two years younger than us. Okay. So we were juniors when his freshman brother came in uh-huh. and suddenly was immediately faster than almost every person on the team. His younger brother was? His little freshman brother. Oh. But his little freshman brother wasn't as smart. Mm-hmm. And so then it was senior year and my, my friend was trying to figure out, oh, where did he want to go to college? Yeah. And, you know, he's applying to all these like ridiculous schools and his little brother, who's now a sophomore and starting to put up pretty ridiculous times in the 5k for a sophomore is starting to get letters from colleges. Oh goodness. And his older brother's like, well, I'm not going to that school. And suddenly this school that he had talked about for years Mm -hmm. was now actively recruiting his little brother. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to that school. I don't even want to go to that school. I would never want to go to that school. I'm like, I heard you talk about that school for three years, dude. Yeah. And it was not, it was done. He was, there was no way he was possibly going to that school. One, I'm not sure he would have gotten into Stanford. And two, not if his little brother was going to go there. Why? Because his brother immediately because came the in. school was asking his brother to come basically, yeah. and he would have had to like kind of he would have had to like work his way in. Yeah, yeah, and might not have been able to make it in. Whereas yeah. his brother was just already faster, mm-hmm. and then suddenly was getting looked at by this college that he was like really hoping and like fingers crossed that he would have a shot of making right. it into. So then he his brother start putting up these protective mechanisms and these walls. Well, like. Well, I didn't even want to go there in the first place. Right. Like, it's just, it's the vulnerability armor that Brene Brown talks about, you know. Yes, I talk about her a lot. Yes. But it's one of those ways that we protect ourselves. It's, you know, when, when we are feeling vulnerable or not good enough, then we throw on, you know, the armor and the shields to protect ourselves so that we don't have to feel less than. Right. And then little brother yeah. didn't have to score as high in school. Like, he didn't even right. go for it. It's like... He was very smart, yeah. but he didn't have to have the highest grades in every possible AP and honors class. Because he was so fast. Well, he was already validated. Yeah. There were already colleges telling him he was good enough. He So academically, he had to be good enough. Mm. He didn't have to be the best. That's and then so cross interesting. His it was really weird to watch. Yeah, that's such an interesting commentary right there. But, you know, so it kind of takes us back to this question of like, Why do we do this? Like, why do we compare ourselves to other people? And why does someone else's life matter so much to our own happiness? 
it's, I mean, it, it's always out there. It's like, why, yeah. why do we care about somebody else? There's a story that I read to my kids in class. Tell me. It's, uh, is the story of the cups and the coffee. Okay. And it's a story of this college professor who, you know, years after the kids had graduated from college, he has like a, a class reunion and all these people come back and they're like 15, 20 years removed. I forget what the setup is. And they're all back and they've been, you know, very successful with their lives and whatnot. And he brings them all back into like the old classroom that they were all inside of. And he says, hold hold on a second, I've, I've got stuff for you. And he brings out a pot of coffee and then goes back and he brings out this big giant box full of cups. Mm-hmm. And there's like styrofoam cups and paper cups, but then there's also like the porcelain cups and like the crystal cups and like the fancy cups. And he says, grab a cup and get some coffee. And everybody immediately grabs the nicest cups. Mm-hmm. And sitting behind is the paper cup and the styrofoam cup and the other cups that are just sitting there. Yeah. And as they're all sitting there, he goes, look around. You all actively chose to get the fanciest cup you could find. Mm -hmm. Some of you are even struggling to drink out of the cup because it's so fancy that it's hard to actually use. (laughs) Everybody here wanted coffee, but you chose the fanciest cup you could find. Mm -hmm. And then once you got your cup, you then started looking around to be like, ooh, I probably should have chose that cup. Mm. No one wanted a fancy cup. I said can I get you guys some coffee? And you guys said, yeah, I want coffee. And suddenly there were different cups and now you're judging each other. And now you're, you're comparing what you have to what somebody else has. And that wasn't the point in the first place. You all just wanted coffee. Yeah. So, I mean, but that was his point, you know, it was a social experiment of like, you know, look how just something that someone else got instead of you automatically then changes your perspective on that person like that's the crazy thing too like it's it's not just what they got or what they have it's like now that says something about who they are as well right and and then you and you're feeling about that person like you're like you're angry at that person because they got the cup you want right for absolutely no good reason because you're all just sitting there drinking coffee Mm -hmm. and that was the whole point and like the big picture on it is like the people came in and they started complaining about things in their life and the professor's just sitting back he's like you're complaining about things because you're not worried about what you have you're worried about what everybody around you has stop comparing stop keeping up with the joneses right right we're not keeping score here yeah but a lot of people do yes you know and i've had to tell that to people a lot of people in my life before like i'm not a scorekeeper you know like we don't have to go like tit for tat like it doesn't have to happen that way just because i do something for you doesn't mean you then owe me something yes you know and i think that a lot of people feel that way in life in general like like i don't want to accept too much help from someone else because then i'm going to owe them something yeah yeah you're very good about not feeling like someone owes you something or even going out of your way that when you do something you'll let people know you don't owe me like i'm just doing this because i used to feel that way and i think that that's part of it like i used to be a scorekeeper for sure like when i was growing up and especially against your sister especially against my (laughs) sisters yes when I was growing up I was all about fairness like it's not fair if they get more than me or this or that like she got this amount that means I should get the same amount it's not fair like fairness was like such an important value to me which now I know as an adult is completely ridiculous because there is no such thing as fairness and like I'm saying the same thing to my daughters now that like my mom used to say to me like of course and I'm like I hated it when I was a child and now 
now I'm like, yep, I get it now, you know, because you, there is no such thing as fairness in this world. Like there just isn't, you know, That's because the, our daughters are two different people. And right. so you, you don't get the exact same things mm-hmm. because you're not the same person. And the best thing is like, I love now that like even my mom and like my family will say, well, you don't parent them different or, or you, you do, you, you parent them differently. You don't treat them the same. And I'm like, you're right. I don't because they're two different kids, <laughs> two different people. Like what works with one does not work with the other. And we'll totally set the other off in a totally opposite direction. Oh yeah. No, you, you can't parent yeah. the two of them the same way. You right. can't treat most people the same way. But then there, there's judgment then on top of it too. Like yes. it's not just like, Oh, an observation that, you know, you're not parenting them the same. <laughs> like there's then judgment on top of it. Like you let, so-and-so get away with more than you do the other one like you let her get away with more you let this happen you let that happen and therefore you're not doing a good job parenting her as well as you did the other one right and so sometimes people can make what seems like an observation and then you can take it as a judgment and sometimes your family just delivers a straight judgment because they put the therefore you're not doing a good parenting job on the end of their (laughs) statement they don't actually say that but yeah i mean that that's true too you know a lot of that is perception and that is me placing my own judgment on what they are saying to me but that's you know what how it sounds so I mean we can get into the circle of perception and judgment but let's get back to comparison all right back to comparison all right so if you've ever gone to a race go to like a big race half marathon marathon shoot even a 5k but one with like lots of people watch the finish line Mm -hmm. as people come across the finish line they've got this combination look on their face of like exhaustion Mm -hmm. from the race and happiness Mm -hmm. because they're done and they're super excited yeah and especially if they've like hit the time on the clock that they wanted right but even if they haven't hit the time we're talking about before they even see a number yeah okay i mean no even if they've seen the number yeah because i've seen people who cross the finish line not excited with their time on the clock and they were still the the immediate expression was happiness because of what they had just accomplished because it's done it's done yeah like they, they go with happiness and then they start looking around and they start comparing where they finished and what the people around them look like and they finished with them mm-hmm. like how did i finish at the same place as that person over there do you look- see that happening totally really oh completely seen it happen uh-huh. i've seen someone like come in and like you know as they're all standing there like getting their their cup of water right at the finish line i watched this happen at oh, I forget which i think it was our like um or school 5K. Yeah. If someone had just crossed the finish line, they were super excited and smiling. And then they went over to get a drink of water and they looked at the person who was standing next to them getting a drink of mm-hmm. water. And I looked at, they looked at them and then they looked them up and down head to toe and just shook their head. Like, how did I possibly finish at the same part as this person? Really? I'm like, what are you kidding? Like, stop judging everybody around you. Stop comparing your result to their result hmm. and thinking, wow, I should be at a different place. You just took away your own happiness. Yeah. You were so happy a second ago until you looked around. Interesting. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that can happen, that people are initially happy and then when they look at their time or when they're looking at their their place. I mean, I, I also see it in the opposite direction too. Like I see people that finish and then they go look at the results and then they realize, oh my gosh, like I got first place in my age group or second place in my age group and I never in you know would have ever expected to place. You know, so it can go in the, in a good direction as right. well. Right, comparison at its best in that case. Yeah. 
yeah, comparing themselves to other people and not thinking that they're good enough and then racing and proving to themselves that they are. Right, because then you're taking yourself from this, like, the thought of I'm I'm not good, I'm not good enough. If I try and compare myself, I'm scared to compare myself. And you go out there and you get this unexpected, like, boost of, like, wow, I, I am good enough. Yeah, like, I'm not really a runner. Oh, really? Because you just won, you just got on the podium. Yeah. You know, like, I bet that's proof that you actually are a runner. Right, and then you've got other people who are out there chasing the clock. They cross a finish line and they hit the time that they want. And then they go over and look at the results. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I didn't even hit my age group. Yeah. Yeah, but you had the time you wanted. You right. were super excited about the time. So why does the place in your age group even matter at that point? Because uh, they weren't as good as somebody else that day. Right, but they were right. as good as they wanted to be. They hit their yeah. goal time. They hit exactly what they wanted. So you'd think that that, was, that should be the point. But the comparison then took that person's joy away. Yeah, I know. It's it's sad how this can happen. I'm sure you see it a lot like in your classroom as well, too. I mean, I... I used to see it a lot, you know, when I was in school. I mean, there was always comparison between, you know, classmates and grades and everything. Everybody loves to compare the grades. Yeah. My kids love to ask me what the class average was. Mm-hmm. So then they can... So they know where they fall. So they know where they fall. Yeah. They know, am I above the middle? Am I below the middle? Well, I just gave a physics test and, like, these kids were on point. They came back off of Christmas break and they were ready to go. Like, all right, we are all going to crush second semester. We've got this thing. And they all came in and... Every single one of them performed higher on this test than they basically have all year long. That's great. And a kid came in on on the next day because he saw grades posted. So he knew his grade and he knew his twin brother's grade. Mm-hmm. But that was it. He didn't know anybody else's grade. And he came in and he was so excited because he was like 20 points higher than he normally gets. Wow. Yeah. And he came in and he's like, oh man, I crushed that thing. What did you get? And the first person he asked gave him their score, and it was it was five points higher than his. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, what, what, what did you get? And it was ten points higher than his score. Uh. It was, oh, well, what, what did you get? And the third guy he asked got like a 97 on the test. Ouch. And suddenly he went, he, I mean, he, he walked so in the door. Like, he blew open the door. Yeah. He was like, I crushed that test. Three questions later, and he was, I mean, totally he was a puddle. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> Like, it's just so sad because, like, all of a sudden this kid who was super excited and super proud of himself, rightly so. Rightly so. He boosted his his test average by 20 points just on that one. Yeah. He he did, in fact, crush it. Yeah. It's just that... Somebody else did better. Exactly. Yeah. And then that basically made him pass judgment on himself that he wasn't as good as he thought he was. And that's the problem is by looking at somebody else, then it it was like, oh, I thought I was good, but I guess I'm, I'm only okay. No, you did the best that you possibly could on that thing. Like Mm -hmm. you did great for you on that day. Yeah. And so that really just brings us to this question of like, why do we do this to ourselves like why do we allow someone else's performance to derail our happiness or to deflate us in that way like I want you guys to just stop and just pause for a couple of seconds here whatever you're doing and just think about a time that this has happened to you because I can bet you can come up with more than one time I can bet that you can come up with multiple instances in your life where you have been happy about something and then comparing yourself with someone else have then become less happy about that same exact result, that same exact outcome that you were already happy with. So just take a second and think about that time in your life. And then just ask, why? 
You know, like, why did it really matter? Like, especially now looking back, like if you can think of something like in school, you know, if, if you're an adult now and you're a parent and you're off and you're working, right? Like looking back on school and like, why did it, why did it matter if I beat that kid in <laughs> physics class or, yeah, I don't you know, remember geometry that kid's class, name. <laughs> right? Like, but, well, you know, in my chemistry class in high school, my chemistry teacher. They still do. I know she does. She's still teaching at the same high school. And she puts up on the board, she writes the name of the top three or top five. Top, I think it was top three when I was there. Um, top three performers on every single test. So the goal was to get your name up on the board every time. Like, you know, the highest grades on the test, she put them one, two, and three. Like yep. every single test. And so... You know, one could argue that that's celebrating the people that did really well, but then what is that? All what message is that also sending to the people that didn't get to be in the top three, and especially the ones that always wanted to be in the top three? What about the kid who's never seen their name on the board? Yeah, right. So a couple years ago, and and she still does. She still puts the top three on the board. Yeah, Um, I mean, you can argue both ways for it. You completely can. But a couple years ago, just the way the numbers worked out and the scheduling and who wanted to take which classes. Cause she does this for all of her classes. She teaches honors chemistry and AP chemistry. There were seven kids in AP chemistry. Uh-huh. She put the top three on the board. Ooh, that's only four that aren't. Yep. Ouch. That means that if you finish fourth in the class, so you're like the center of the class and these are like some of the best top kids in the kids, school. Yeah. That's the thing is the seventh kid. If he looks around outside of that classroom, yeah, is name on the board kid totally but in that room he's last he's last yikes (laughs) that messes with you yeah you know that messes with your self-esteem that messes with a lot of stuff especially at that age you know especially in your high school years middle school years like even college like those are formative years of like you're figuring out who you are your personality your values like your ethics, like all of these things that are so important to who we become as individuals. And, you know, I would say that. And then I would also argue that you can choose to be whoever you want to be at any given point in time. Like today you could choose to be different because you could choose to change your thought patterns. It's just much harder to do. Once you already have thought patterns ingrained, it's harder because that now you have to fight against those old thought patterns and form new ones, which is harder, you know, as we get older. Right. And I mean, it's, it's easy to to say it, you know. It's easy to say, well, you just you change your perspective on the situation. Of course, it's that... easy to say. It. We have a podcast, and we're just talking about it. <laughs> I, it's I totally don't... easy to tell you guys what to do. If I want to write my name on the wall right in front of me, I'm good to go. I have a whiteboard in my classroom. I could put my name on it every single day, <laughs> right at the top. <laughs> Mr. Brown nailed it. <laughs> Smartest person in this room because I have the answer key <laughs> and a degree. <laughs> um, so. It's, uh, but it's funny, like some of the kids would be in that class and they'd come and talk to me afterwards, you know, cause we've had kids in the class that are then on the cross country team. They're like, right. I, I don't think I'm ever going to get my name on the board. I'm like, yeah. okay, but who cares? Does it matter? Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah. Cause the name on the board means that you did really well on the test. I'm like, yeah, but did you do well on the test? Right. Like I remember one kid coming in and they're like, I got a 94. I didn't get my name on the board. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Still an A. Like, yeah, you, you're getting an A in the class. Yeah. They're like, I know, but blank and blank and blank all got 100%, so I couldn't get my name on the board. Yeah, but guess what? 
the grade on the report card of you and blank and blank and blank are all the same. <laughs> and that, that's where it comes down yeah. to. But I mean, this, this comparison trap, that's running wise. That's what I fell into in college yeah. is I was always pretty good on the team and I wasn't really worried about my position through high school because I was, I was on the varsity squad. I was never number one. Mm. And so it never really concerned me. That to still be surprises me that you were never number one <laughs> considering how fast you are. Remember when Jeez. I pointed out the sophomore who was getting recruited by Stanford? Yeah. 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 It's quick. Um, so, but I was never number one and it just didn't concern me to be number one. Yeah. I was always pretty solid. I was a good contributor to the team. I helped try and unite the team. I was mm. elected to be captain because I helped unify the team. Because you were the out- most outgoing on the team, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, no, the, you were the natural born leader. The, the other captain on the when I was a senior, um, I think I saw a picture a couple years post post high school where he was running the Beta Breakers out in San Francisco. Uh-huh. He was the guy with the Halloween mask wearing just a speedo running alongside the Kenyans at the front of the race. Oh wow, he was that guy. Okay, yeah, um, he was pretty outgoing. Yeah, he was probably more outgoing. <laughs> but uh, you know, when I got to college, suddenly my spot on the team slid a little bit farther back, and so then I was all concerned what number I was, mm-hmm. and I don't think that helped my running. Yeah, I was so caught up in what my spot was on the team. Oh, if I get to this minute this spot if I run this many varsity races and I count as a varsity athlete and I was so caught up in that and then you know as we put up what you talked about before you put up that armor yeah of then I started seeing like I'm not sure I can get there Mm -hmm. so then should I even try all that hard yeah because if I don't try and then I don't get there then it's I can always point out well I didn't I didn't give it everything I possibly could have yeah you give yourself a built-in excuse yeah yeah and all of a sudden you don't try as hard or you stop caring as much and it's all just ways that we protect ourselves it's it's all just ways that we can not allow ourselves to be vulnerable and that basically takes a lot of joy out of our lives. Right. But when you really want to figure out whether you're happy, you got to point out that you're the one who's in charge of your own happiness. Yes. And in in running, and I would argue life in general, mm-hmm. your happiness comes from how hard of an effort you're putting forth. Mm-hmm. How much are you actually working towards whatever your goal is? Not are you getting there faster than your neighbor? Yeah. But do you have a goal? Are you working hard? Are you striving towards that goal? Because then, then you're winning. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the joy. Yeah, yeah. It's all about that that taking charge, and it's it's putting putting yourself out there, like putting yourself in the arena. <laughs> like I keep using all of these Brene Brown. No, even like, I'm reading her book. I know right you're now. reading the book a lot. I'm so. like trying to think of like other ways to say it, and I'm like, but this is this is what's in my brain right now because and that's I'm, okay. Because way I'm, to go, Brene Brown. Hey, and, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes if you guys want to read it because I'm Cause reading. You should because you should. It is. It's such a good book. It's called Daring Greatly, and she's got multiple books right now. But currently, I'm reading Daring Greatly. I know, but I mean, we had date night where we went out to dinner and then came home and watched her on TV. Yes, we did. We we watched the <laughs> Netflix special and if you haven't seen it yet and if you haven't read any of her stuff that is a very good place to start like you you learn a lot about who she is and what she talks about um through that netflix special maybe we're related maybe we are i'm gonna (laughs) call her up and say hey cousin brene i I married in but that's okay so did you (laughs) perfect (laughs) so um anyway back to Back to this. So when you are in charge of your own effort in running and in life, right? Um, And it is so easy to compare yourself to other people and we do so, so naturally. But I think that the key is really recognizing when we start to do that 
and then putting a stop to it, you know, and, and understanding that, you know what, like that person's success doesn't mean that I can be any less or that I have to be less successful. Like it's it's like the, the pizza or the pie um, analogy as mm-hmm. well, right? A lot of people think of success, wealth, um, anything in life, these good things in life as being a fixed pie um, so that if someone has a bigger slice, that means that there's left, less left for you. And that's just simply not true. Right. Whereas you can just sort of flip your perspective on that and be like, wow, that person achieved that. I can also achieve that. Exactly. Like somebody reaching great heights, reaching great levels of satisfaction, great levels of success, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're striving for, someone else having it doesn't mean that you can't. Mm-hmm. It should actually show you that you can't. That it's possible, right? It shows the possibility. It's like the four-minute mile, like breaking the four-minute mile. No, one, Everyone said it could never be done, and, all, and then Bannister did it, and then all of a sudden, lots of other people have done it since then. Since then. Not exactly. Sometimes it gets exaggerated a lot what well, there was well, it's not right away i know there, there's the one book that i was reading that there are people that exaggerate so much they're like roger banister broke the four minute mile and then within the next year another hundred people did it and it's like <laughs> actually one and then the next day <laughs> like, actually one more person did it yeah. within the next year yeah but then people started to do it now someone's broken two hours in the marathon i don't think this is going to open the floodgates think i mean not right now especially because it was so like it was such a a controlled experiment that they just controlled for so many aspects in that right but the sub two is not the thing that's that's the wall that's been broken down like a lot of runners love numbers that end in zeros and so breaking two hours seems like this magical thing Mm -hmm. but if you look at at times like how many people in the world a decade ago were running a marathon under 210, uh-huh. the number's pretty small. Okay. How many are running it now and the number's really big? And yes, that's that's another round number, but it's coming down. And then you can do this with like anything. Like you can be like a few years ago, the world record in the marathon was like 209 or something. Mm-hmm. And now to qualify out of the U.S. is going to take sub 210. Wow. So yeah. like the, the numbers just keep coming down. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that one person got it and now you can't. Mm-hmm. It shows the possibility. Right, exactly. And so basically when you realize that you're in charge of your own effort in running and in life, then you can decide to determine your starting point pick a goal and start to work towards it because then when you check in to see your progress, then you get to just compare to yourself and you get to see, okay, how far am I along this path or along this journey? Like how far have I come? Because I think sometimes we can also fall into that trap of comparing to ourselves. We can either compare to our previous self, like what you um, have done in the past. Like yep. you now you're comparing yourself to your younger, faster self and saying like, can I ever hit those numbers again? Or what can I achieve to, to get myself to It is my to current goal is yeah. breaking a 20 year PR. Right. But like I was never fast as a, as a runner. Like I just keep getting faster now because I've actually opened myself up to the possibility of becoming faster. And I'm doing my best to not compare my lack of PRs to your abundance of PRs. Yeah. But my abundance of PRs are like so much slower than yours. I still, still PRs that are happening. But those are comparisons. It's exactly. Right. All a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at and saying, well, my times are slower. And I'm looking and being like, I know, but you keep hitting PRs. Like yeah. you can take both of them from a negative side if you mm-hmm. want to. Yeah. But you know, when you, when you start to compare to yourself, I mean, I mean, that's kind of like we just said, like even that can be dangerous because 
now, like my life now is completely different than it was then. Same with you. Like you're now a dad with a job and kids and stress and responsibilities versus when you were 21 and in college and carefree. Right. I mean, you, I could go out and run pretty much as many miles as I wanted to go mm-hmm. off and run. It was like, I, it was like you, when you raced that guy in the, um, in the Space Coast Marathon, and he was like 25 and traveling the country as a vagabond. <laughs> the guy literally had like a trailer and just traveled around the country like, now I'm going to go train in Colorado for a few months, and now I'll drive back towards my parents' house in South Florida and run this race. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll go up to Oregon and run on some trails up there. Yeah. Yes, he beat me in the marathon. Yeah. Like, because that's what he did. Right. Like, it, he just went around and ran. Yeah, and you were 10 years older than him, had two kids and responsibilities. Yes. Like, it's going to be different. That's not an even comparison. Right, and yet I struggled to not... I, I struggle to not do the comparison. Yeah, of course. I mean, all of us do, right? I mean, and so, again, that's even one of those dangerous things about you comparing yourself to yourself, you know, even if it was just a few years ago. Like, you have new stresses. You have unexpected interruptions that may have caused a detour. Right. Like, you have this. You had your starting point. You had your goal. You're like, I'm going to hit this goal. I'm going to hit it in three months, six months. Maybe you got a short goal, plus you got like a one-year goal. What if something happens at six months that takes you off of your your timeline? Mm-hmm. Okay, that doesn't mean that you're unsuccessful. Like these checkpoints are really just a time to say, am I actually still putting forth the effort? Am I still consistently working towards this goal or have I lost my focus? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to look at races. Is there a checkpoint to be like, wait, am I still actually actively working towards that goal? Mm-hmm. And you know, you can you can look at the time and be like, eh, it doesn't it doesn't look like it. Or yeah. you can look at the time and be like, I am, I just have this and this going. And they're not excuses. They're just actual reasons as to why that that path is taking a little bit longer it's not like a you know oh well it's gonna be okay that i didn't do it because blah 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 blah, and you're just throwing out excuses any excuse that you can but you actually look and say yes i'm still working towards this goal i'm still gonna get it it's just gonna take me a little bit longer because Mm -hmm. this detour happened exactly and that takes us to this idea of accepting the fact that your goal is a given that your success is inevitable because once you fully accept that you are going to achieve your goal then actually reaching the goal becomes slightly less important like cuz you already know that you can you can do it so it's just a matter of time it's just a matter of when you're actually going to do it i mean i feel like that's kind of where you've gotten to with your marathon time like you know when when i was talking to you about um your goals for Jacksonville and what you wanted to hit, you were like, well, I already, I, I know I'm I, a 235 marathoner. I know I can run 235 in the marathon. So you already fully accepted that, which allowed you to then like go big or go home. And unfortunately you didn't hit that. Unfortunately it took a six hour ride home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you didn't, you, you weren't able to hit that a goal or, or the 235, but you still fully accept that you're completely capable of doing it. It's just a matter of when. Right. And the more the more you think about that goal and the more like details you can put into picturing that that goal has happened, like not just, oh, yeah, I, I, I accept that I'm capable of running this time in a race. No, no, no. Envision the race, Mm -hmm. like picture the whole thing, how it's going to hurt at this part, how you're going to push through. And then maybe you put a surge here and, oh, wait, there's this hill in the course and it's fine because I, I push up the downhill and then I go hard on the down and like picture the whole race and you crossing the line and all of that. Your brain will now treat this memory that you've created as fact. Yeah. And your brain will now celebrate it. And so when you get to the race, 
your brain already says, I've done this. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to be nervous about whether or not I can do it because Mm -hmm. your brain says you have done it. Mm -hmm. Your brain treats made up imaginary memories as factual things that have happened in your life. Mm -hmm. And the more details you can put it, the more the brain says, yes, this has already happened to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a huge point right there. Like the more detailed you can make it, the more your brain just accepts that that is reality. I was actually listening to something about this just today. Um, and again, something else last week about, you know, neuro training for elite athletes, right? These Olympic swimmers, like there was this one Olympic swimmer, um, that did this, like basically neuro study and this swimmer, I'm not sure who it was exactly, but, um, they, had just a couple of weeks to train for this one race in the Olympics and they had never swam this race before. Uh So instead of actually getting in the pool and physically training, I think they were injured also. Um, I don't know if it was a he or she, um, because the person that was telling this story didn't tell us who it was, of course, but basically just did brain training, like just went through visualization exercises for like a couple of weeks. Um, I forget if it was like six weeks or what it was, but never actually got in the pool to swim this distance, this stroke, whatever it was, only did visualizations of this, got in the pool and, and won the race. Right. Because it's not, I mean, they're Olympic level swimmer. It's not like they'd never done that stroke before. It's not like they've never swam before. Yeah. Like it's different than here's a book on swimming. Now, now good luck. Like they, they had swam before. Mm -hmm. They knew how to do all the strokes. I mean, they're an Olympic level swimmer. They, they learned all the strokes when they were four. Right. Um, and so they could do them, but they'd never raced that race before. Mm-hmm. I, I remember this thing happening. Yeah. Um, and they'd never raced that race, yeah. and, and yet they didn't train for it because they couldn't physically train for it. So, mm-hmm. yes, they just wrapped their head around mm-hmm. physically doing it, and then, and then did and it. And they had. Yeah, and then did it. And the same thing, like I was listening to something else today about, you know, elite, like basketball players or volleyball players or all these people that do visualizations, and they just – practice and they just watch themselves in their mind shooting the free throws over and over and over and making them and it translates into better performance it just does because you're building those neural pathways in the brain well i mean you always talk about habit formation and it's like well how come the superstars on basketball never seem to choke on the free throw at the end of the game yeah it's because they don't sense that there's anything different like they've shot this free throw so many times that it doesn't matter that there's pressure because there isn't. They don't feel it. Like it's a free throw. Mm-hmm. They don't even have to think about a free throw. They go to the line, they have their routine that they do every single time they shoot a free throw. Mm-hmm. And that helps block out anything else that's going because they just go into the habit of this is what I do when I shoot a free throw. Exactly. This is what I do when I shoot a penalty shot. Like whatever the like seeming pressure situation is in these sports, you practice it over and over and over again mm-hmm. and your body just naturally does the motion. Exactly. And so some people might think of this idea and say, well, you know what, if you, you know, if you keep practicing it and you just like know that the goal is inevitable, then won't that actually take the joy away once you finally do hit that goal? And I don't think it really does. <laughs> no. One, it, it doesn't. Because when you actually, you know, hit the goal, cross a line, there's a number on a clock or whatever, yeah. like that's still pretty exciting. It also discounts the joy of knowing that that goal is a given. What do you mean? Like there's, there is joy in that. Like when you've gone in and you've put the effort and you've put in the work and you 
really fully accept it. Like, like I said, the more details you put to this, your brain just accepts that this has, has already happened. Mm -hmm. And so you can experience joy thinking back on that memory. Well, you can, you can experience joy in the moment. Like you don't actually have to wait until that thing is achieved and in stone. Right. Yes. You can experience joy in the path of getting to it as you think about it happening in the future. Mm -hmm, Because you're enjoying the journey. Right. Which is just kind of odd to state. I'm not sure how you pull that sentence apart, but you can enjoy right now the memory that you're creating of a thing that hasn't yet happened in the future. Ooh, now you're getting into all sorts of fun, Uh you know, 4D time travel, Mm -hmm. all sorts of woo-woo stuff. I'll pass that off to an English teacher and see how they can work the sentence. (laughs) All right, so let's, let's bring this back to running, okay? So we've done a lot of this just talking about comparisons, how we compare ourselves to other people, how we compare ourselves to ourselves and how those can be both good and bad. Um, now let's bring it back to running. Like, cause we often set up these goal times, which are, you know, comparisons to our previous self, right? We want to set a personal record. We want to, you know, run our best time in these races, which is naturally a comparison to how we were, right? We want to be faster than we were before. Right, but like like we just went over, how freeing would it be to stand there at the starting line knowing that the goal was already accomplished? Mm-hmm. Like in your head, I've already done this, I've run this race, and I have accomplished the time. Yeah. Like it takes the nerves out of it. Trust me, like I've been on the starting line of many races, and even like the small little 5K at our school, there's a little nerves as you like, you know, because you have to briefly pause for a moment when mm-hmm. you're right on the starting line. You kind of like hold the position and they shoot off a starting gun. And that's like a nerve inducing thing just because like runners take your mark. Like that phrase just used to kind of bring up nerves to me. Yeah. At the last race I ran, they're like, like we weren't even sure if we were supposed to stand on like the first starting line or the second because there was a double mat at the start. I'm like, I don't know. It's going to be fine. Like if... If we're supposed to be at that mat, then we'll walk up to that mat and then they'll shoot the gun. And if we have to jog up to that or if I'm added three extra steps to the race, like I had no concerns about what was going on because the race was I I was as prepared as I could be and I was going to go as much as I could on that day. The race was not intimidating. Mm -hmm. It was so freeing in that race. Yeah. And I mean, you've probably experienced this before, too, because if you've hit that goal time before in your next race, are you really worried if you're going to hit that goal time again? Like probably not. Like I know for me when I, after I broke two hours in the half marathon, then like when I ran my next half marathon, I'm like, Oh, well I've already broken two hours so I could do it again. Like it wasn't a worry for me that I wasn't going to break two this time. Right. And like, I actually went into that race, like fully planning not to break two because I just wanted to go in and run with my friends and enjoy the race and the scenery and all of that and totally could have broken two without a problem. It just, you know, I got stopped by a train. You got stopped by a train. (laughs) And wine tastings along the way. Right. And you still almost did it because... Yeah, I ran a 201. Right. Because breaking two was not this obstacle that you would put up. It Mm -hmm. was just a thing that happens. Like, oh, I break two. That's that's what I do. It was a given, right. Because I had already done it. But you don't have to wait until you actually do that thing to accept the fact that it is already done and that it is fully 100% possible that you have already achieved that, that you are fully capable of achieving that. All right. So that's, that's a lot of the the visualization, except, except that you are your future self. And then it, it makes the, the goal a little less, a little less frightening. Um, if you have ever crossed the finish line, 
and then criticized your own race pretty soon after. You know, how often has that happened? Mm -hmm. That you cross the line and you crossed it and you hit your goal time. And within minutes, sometimes you get a little post-race glow, but maybe like a couple hours later, you're already critiquing your own race. Mm -hmm. You're already breaking it down and being like, ah, I mean, I hit my goal time, but... I probably could have gone a little faster. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm really satisfied with that race, but Mm -hmm. like, no, just end the sentence right there. Yes, I'm really satisfied with that race. Right. Like, so how often do you actually enjoy the result before just thinking ahead and finding another goal time? Right. Just sit back and actually enjoy what just happened. Mm -hmm. Like the journey that it took to get there and the result of it. Bask in that for a little while. That's okay. Yeah. Like it's okay to be really happy with what just happened without having to immediately move on to something bigger and better. Mm -hmm. You can enjoy the current situation for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it takes us to like our idea of using the race as a victory lap. The the race is not the destination. The, The race is not the goal. It's every Everything that you've been through to get yourself to that starting line. It's the journey that you've been on, especially if it's like a really big race, if it's a goal race. I mean, if you're coming back, like maybe this is your first 5K. Maybe you just did a a couch to 5K program and you never considered yourself a runner before and you are just standing on the starting line of a 5K you know that you are going to finish that race. It's just going to happen. You've you've done the training. You followed the plan. You did it. Now the race is just your victory lap. You now get to celebrate what you've just accomplished. Like, so is your satisfaction coming from the time that you hit on the clock or from the journey that you went on to achieve that result? And I think that so many people, especially right away, like right when they cross the finish line, they, they kind of forget about that journey and they just see the time. They just see that number. And that just like robs the joy of it. Like, what if you cross that line and been, you know, just allowed yourself to be in gratitude, like fully in gratitude for what you just accomplished. Not just with that race, but in all of the training runs, the strength training, everything that it took for you to get there. Right. I mean, what if you're in gratitude for the entire race? Yeah. What if in a 5K at mile two, when every muscle in your leg is screaming and on fire and you're like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, Just think about what I've done to get myself to this position, to be in a place where I can be in this much pain and still be able to tell myself, yep, one to go. Mm -hmm. I've got this. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I did in the last one in our school 5k. Like I was totally in that. And when I was starting to hurt, like I would, I would try to pull in the gratitude and I'd be like, yep, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Like you're doing, you're doing a good job with this. Like how lucky am I that I'm running this race right now that I'm surrounded by these people that they're you know are my colleagues cheering us on along the course like trying to pull in that gratitude just made that race even better like in addition to the time that was on the clock right and because you're focused on what it was that got you to there and then you don't have to put on this comparison at the end you don't have to cross the finish line and be like oh man I didn't hit a great time but at least I beat that person over there You know, that's like trying to build yourself up. Like if you're so focused on the time and not the journey that it took to get there, not the journey that you're still on Mm -hmm. and progressing forward, but you're a little disappointed the number, then you look around and try and say like, well, I guess I'm better than that person and that person. Mm -hmm. Or you go the other direction. You're like, ah, I was satisfied with that, but I wasn't as good as this person, this person. Either way, it's, it's a comparison that's giving you this like, you know, taking the joy away or trying to create this false sense of joy by 
by putting other people down. Right. And that's never a good idea. Right. That, that doesn't actually lead to long lasting satisfaction or joy. Like, because you shouldn't have to push someone else down for you to feel good about yourself. And part of the reason is because you have no idea where they are on their journey. Like they're on some sort of a journey just like you. Maybe they just woke up that day and decided to run a 5K. Who knows? Maybe they trained for a couple months for that 5K. Maybe they have been on a weight loss journey for the last three years and they used to, they've lost 100 pounds and, you know, they've walked 5Ks before and this is the first time they've actually been able to run one. Like you have no clue what other people have been going through even your friends even people that you know like you don't always know everything you don't always know all the deep dark secrets or the the demons that they've had to battle through to try to get where they are today so your results your effort level have nothing to do with anyone else other than yourself you also don't know who's comparing themselves to you. Yeah, in a good way. Right, in a good way. The the people that you are possibly inspiring. Yes. The people that you're out there on that day and they're like, wow, look at how much that person is going. I think I can do that also. Mm. You know, if that person has the right perspective, you're opening up the possibilities for them. Yep. You know, but at the at the end of the day, it comes down to if you have your goal, if you know where you are, you have your destination, your your checkpoint along the way, maybe your huge long term goal or whatever it is. If you're giving your full effort to get there, how can you ever really be all that upset with the result? Like maybe on that day, it wasn't the time that you wanted, but it was as hard as you could go on that day. You've trained as best as you possibly can for it, and that's what you had on that day. If you give everything, you really can't be disappointed in, in what happens at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a perfect place for us to kind of wrap this up. So we just wanted to say thank you again for everyone that participated in our five-day running challenge and also welcome all of our new members of the Real Life Runners Training Academy. We are so excited to work with you and we cannot wait to see what you're going to accomplish with your running this year. So that brings us into our runner of the week. All right, drum roll. So our runner of the week this week is Bobby Gennaro. Do you think I pronounced that right? I think so. All right. Gennaro, Gennaro, let me know in the tribe if I pronounced it correctly. But Bobby is... He's always in the tribe, so he'll let us know. (laughs) Bobby is a true inspiration. So he's one of these guys that you definitely want to see as inspiration for your running journey because he has come a long way um, with his own running journey and he's been so active sharing his running journey with our tribe, um, with our Facebook group, our Real Life Runners Tribe. So Bobby, thank you so much for everything that you do for the group, for everything that you share, um, especially like those funny memes that he, he's been posting like a lot of like funny running memes lately. Yeah, no, he seems awesome. Yeah. Like I, I kind of just want to go out and run with Bobby. Yeah, I know. And, and he's also a cross country coach too. Um, so that's pretty cool. We've got that in common. Right. I always forget that. I kind of want to go out there and beat Bobby. You, we're not <laughs> comparing Kevin. We're not beating anyone. Okay. Bobby is an inspiration of where we all can be. So Bobby um, just recently completed the Dopey Challenge at the Walt Disney World Marathon like two weeks ago, Yes, which is insane. Um, it is a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and a full marathon all in the same weekend. So over the, the course of four days, it's four races um, that add up to, I should probably have 
added those up, but it adds up to a lot of miles um, that Bobby ran over the course of four days. So when we reached out to Bobby to let him know that he that we chose him as our runner of the week this week, he sent us back a really great note. And Kev, you're going to read that. It's his 48 and change, I think, is the answer to that one. Come on, math man. Add <laughs> I don't him up feel quick. like doing the tenths. I'm off duty. All right. So Bobby shared... The Dopey Challenge was the most difficult, most idiotic, and most amazing thing I have ever done. Battling (laughs) severe heat and humidity during the half and full really made a lot of us dig deep and not just quit. I usually don't get carried away with races, but this one is going to stick with me for a long time. On long training runs, I like to listen to the podcast. It helps me focus on the advice given. I use the podcast not only for my own running, but also I bring a lot of advice back to my cross-country team as well. My favorite podcast was the one on training effort. Putting it in terms of 1 to 10 for my athletes really helped them understand the levels of effort they need to put in on certain workouts. Awesome. That's super exciting. I mean, it's it's just spreading the information, spreading the love of running. It's fantastic. 48.6 miles. I added it up. There you go. Yep, 48.6 miles in four days, Bobby. That is awesome. Um, So congratulations to you. Um, We are so happy that our podcast has helped you both with your own personal running journey and also with the the athletes that you coach. That makes us so, so happy because, like Kevin said, you know, the more people that we can get on board with this, the better, and um, the more people we can help out to just run better and live better lives. That just makes us super happy. So thank you. It is remarkably inspiring. I think that the Dopey Challenge is the only way that I would do the Disney Marathon. And seeing his picture with all the medals spread out it's a lot that's got to be heavy like can you do us a favor bobby and actually weigh the medals like put all of the medals onto a scale and just let us know in the tribe like how much the medals alone weigh just the medals alone yeah (laughs) i I think that that 48.6 48.6 miles that sounds like no pounds oh pounds no or like grams perfect (laughs) wouldn't it be funny if they like somehow disney like made them all add up to that they did not that would be something disney would do no no Okay. Anyway, so that's it for today, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us and for choosing to spend your time with us. We appreciate it so much. Please share the podcast with your other running friends and bring more people into our circle so that we can just you know, spread the running love, spread our message of how running makes us better people and, and helps us to take charge of our life in other ways. So as always, thank you guys for spending this time with us today. This has been The Real Life Runners, episode number 120. Now get out there and run your life.